AFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Welcome everyone back to the Mojo Sports Network for another week of footy. We're into the buy rounds now, the first of four weeks. And speaking of which, we're already halfway through the season. It is crazy to think already that 11 rounds have eclipsed just like that. With some teams vying to keep themselves in the top four, other teams have been under the gun for at least a good month. And there's been a few teams at the bottom rungs that have been making a few runs of late, at least the last couple of weeks in Hawthorne sake after that brilliant come from behind victory against St Kilda last Saturday afternoon under the roof at Docklands, which they trailed by 20 points early in the final term. Joining me for this episode is Nathan Jennings, and we also had Nathan on last week as well to preview round 11. Nathan, hello to you. Gary, how you going, mate? back. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on the show once again. And it was a great discussion last Thursday, previewing the round. And, geez, didn't time fly by very quickly? And we've got another riveting round to look forward to. Four teams have got the bye this weekend, including Brisbane, Fremantle, Sydney, and St. Kilda. But before we get stuck into the team lineups as well, which dropped an hour ago, we'll first begin with some of the AFL news too, Nathan, because in terms of the... Sling tackle this season. That's been a real hot topic of conversation. There was roughly, was it 17 players have been suspended due to sling tackle and a couple of them got off as well too. Adam Chera of Carlton for his sling tackle too. And the other one being Rory Laird of Adelaide last Sunday against Brisbane. What do you make of those two tackles as well? Because I did watch the Chera one a few times and the way I think Hickey's head landed, it didn't look great at first. And then the Carlton Defence Council came to the point that it was mainly because of Hickey's hair, which touched the ground work, touched the ground first, should I say, which made the incident look a lot worse. Yeah, well, I think probably on face value, um, when I saw the, uh, the chair of tackle, I thought, oh, he's in strife here. But you know, interestingly, listening to the Carlton Defence, I, I think they've argued their way out of it for him to play tomorrow night very, very well, and purely on the basis of the fact that Tom Hickey had both arms free in the tackle to be able to either expose the ball or brace for impact or, you know, whatever it might have been in that situation. So I think, you know, after actually listening to how they argued the case, I can now sort of understand why he got off. Um, and then with the Rory Laird one, and this is me taking my Adelaide Crows cap off 100%, I, in the moment, thought, one, it was a, I can understand again why the free kick was given. But, you know, watching the replay, was very, very soft, like the very minimal impact uh, for him on the ground. Um, and then again, you know, um, Lockie Neal in that tackle did have the arm free as well, which is sort of you know, becoming a bit of a pitch point for how we're sort of adjudicating the, um, the sling tackles. But, yeah, I'm not sure how you viewed it, but that's sort of how I saw those two at least. I did see it the same way too, Nathan. And it is hard enough for players, especially in the last couple of years since the concussion mandatory 12-day period has come into effect too and there's there's a real emphasis now on players to not apply such excessive force when it comes to tackles and you almost have to treat it as a line of caution now and not go over the top. So I think when we saw those two incidents, the one on Friday night and in the final game of round 11, they'll sort of reminiscent in a way too of how a tackle should be applied and sometimes it's unlucky if the the person who has the ball and is on the receiving end of the tackle hits their head on the turf because it was by no means and Chera said that during the tribunal hearing it was never his intention 
to sling tackle Hickey. It was just that Hickey's head hit the turf. So sometimes that is a fine line to where we want to go in terms of the sling tackle moving forward this season and beyond. And also we'll just diverge a little bit away now from the sling tackle too, Nathan, because last night was the AFL mid-season draft. This has been ongoing since 2019, and we've seen many players live out their AFL dreams. Marlon Pickett, for example, in 2019. John Noble, who's doing fantastic things as Collingwood, as one of their dashing halfbacks. Sam Durham of Essendon, the hero in the dream time, the G game against Richmond. Jai Menzi, too's fitted in seamlessly. The Bombers is one of their small forwards. There's been countless players who've, fitted into the AFL scene right away and really made their mark right from game one. What do you, what were some of your takeaways from last night's draft? First of all, I love this concept. You know, I think for especially the the, the guys that missed out on being drafted at the end of last year, they had those six or so months to go away and work hard at the, um, you know, the VFL or SNFL or Waffle level and prove that, you know, the teams made a mistake in, in overlooking them last year is fantastic. I think, the two players in particular um, that have already sent AFL, Quinton Narkland and Caleb Poulter getting back on AFL lists again. I think, you know, their stories of resilience, I really like that where you know, they've had that sniff of AFL football and then been told they're not quite good enough by their previous club, but, you know, their resilience to be able to stick at it, um, you know, and go back to VFL football um, specifically and, you know, buy their time and be able to have that opportunity again is, is awesome. And, you know, the story coming out today that, you know, um, Quinton Narkle and um, uh, Sam Power Pepper at the Port Adelaide um, Footy Club are best friends, schoolmates, you know, from back in the day. You know, those sorts of things are really heartwarming and really good to see. And um, from all the other kids that got picked up, I think probably the one that I do want to talk about a little bit and get your take on is West Coast taking Ryan Marich from, um, from Gippsland. Now, look, you know, Super talent, you know, he's played really, really well, you know, in the six months part since the draft, I think. But probably the question I have for you is, is why is West Coast taking a key forward now when, one, they have Oscar Allen, who is quite obviously their future that they're going to be building around and has had a very, very good year this year since the return from injury. Um, and also, is it exactly what West Coast need right now for continuity of their squad? I think we first look at it, Nathan, too. They do need another forward because, again, that's where the issues have been since, what, midway through 2021. Scoring supply has been minimal at best and having to bank all your, all your eggs in one basket on Oscar Allen to kick your goals, that's difficult enough to contend with. And drafting Maritri has already shown promises of what he's displayed already. It will only add to that string in the bow that West Coast need because this whole process for the Eagles to get back to where they want to get to and being such a successful club for three decades starts with trying to at least build a forward line first. And yes, the midfield they're going to have to address. That's obvious because Luke Shuey is basically right in the twilight of his, twilight of his career. But also when you touch back on the forward line too, Nathan, as well, who are some of the other tall proposition stocks that have really made their mark? It's a question mark. And this is for my perspective a very good choice by West Coast. To have that compliment alongside Oscar Allen, they'll make defences extremely nervous when West Coast goes inside 50. And again, you've got to start somewhere and this is the start for them. And it's full kudos for what he's done thus far this season too. The other one I'll just want to touch on too, Nathan, as well, 
with Jack Buller from Claremont. He had an outstanding start to the season. That I remember watching his game against South Mantle. I think it was about a month ago, actually, when he kicked those four goals and had an outstanding game, which was at Revo Fitness Stadium. And he's already shown so much promise already, even last season in the early going of this season. And for him to get the opportunity to be drafted by Sydney, because we know exactly where the Swans are at with Lance Franklin now. He's basically going to retire at the end of this season. Logan McDonald's on the sidelines, I'm pretty sure, was the ankle-slash-foot injury. And they need another tall damaging lead-up forward, and that's why he's already given to Claremont too in spades, and that's why he'll definitely do with the Sydney Swans. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think probably the other thing to think about is these players aren't necessarily being drafted to come into a football club and play and, and be an impact, impactful player, sorry, now or in the back end of this season or to make a push for the finals. This is also like a future you know, stashing of a player as well that you're showing talent and promise and that you can bring into the football club um, and continue to, to develop um, within your system as well, um, which I think is really, really exciting. And as you sort of mentioned off the top as well, there's been so many players that are now sort of, you know, established players within the AFL system that have been in that same situation where they've been picked up in the mid-season draft um, and over time has sort of shown the value um, and the promise that they show to the clubs initially. So I think, you know, for every player um, picked up, you know, I think it was, what, 14 players, 13 players that were picked up in the draft last night, you know, that they're all going to have an impact in one way or another, whether it's this year um, or in the years to come as well. So I think, you know, it's a fantastic opportunity for, for those players that have been drafted. And definitely for all footballers, live out that dream and it doesn't matter whether you you're, you don't get drafted in the first if you keep chipping and persisting away. And I think we saw that a long time ago, actually. Kyle Hardingham, the former bomber, he he was overlooked in four drafts before being selected, I think, back in 2009. So it only shows how persistence can really go a long way to living out the AFL dream. We'll go away from the AFL news now because we've got seven matches to preview. And we'll start first with tomorrow night's game. Carlton again under the lights at the MCG against Melbourne, who've dropped their last couple to Port Adelaide and as well last week to Fremantle and what was a very tight tussle at the MCG. We'll start first with the changes for Melbourne first. Adam Tomlinson, Lockie Hunter's back from his one-game suspension and Joel Smith, another one of Melbourne's defenders, comes into the team. James Harms has been omitted. Still found himself on the fringes this season as the 2021 Premiership player. Michael Hibbard's out injured. He's a major loss for them too. Can play on tolls and smalls and plays that defensive role now in the latter twilight of his career. Tom McDonald's out with an ankle. And James Jordan, who's continuously been the sub for Melbourne this season, is out. And you think most likely will be the sub again tomorrow night. And for Carlton, it was injury kind last Friday night against Sydney. We'll go first with the ins. Alex Chincotta comes back into the lineup. Lewis Young, who was dropped last week, comes back in. Jack Silvani, who had an excellent display in the VFL last week, is also into the team. Zach Fisher makes his return for the first time since round seven. And Lockie O'Brien comes as well into the team. The outs for the Blues, Ed Kerno omitted. Nick Newman did his hamstring. Corey Durden's out for roughly about six weeks with that knee injury. Mark, T- Mark Pitnett, shall I say, is out with a hand. George Hewitt suffered that nasty concussion early in the second quarter. And Ollie Hollands has a collarbone injury and underwent surgery earlier in the week. What do we make of this, Nathan? Because Melvin's just been on a little bit of a towel slide as of late. And, well, Carlton, at least for the last month, has just been far too well documented about their woes this going of the season. 
I think first of all, maybe to take a deep breath after that Carlton out list. Um, it's quite honestly a when it rains, it pours situation for Carlton at the moment. And, you know, I, I do feel bad for them in a sense. They've had a tumultuous period off the field with, the, you know, some uh, movement around the uh, board members leaving, some you know, false allegations coming out around risky players and hotels and whatever else. And now you look at this injury list and, you know, they're all solidified best 22 players that um, are out of the squad this week as well. And, you know, Carlton needs something to go their way at the moment and it's just not happening. And, you know, I saw this really, really interesting stat during the week that every single Friday night game, um, Underdog has uh, won. I don't think it's going to happen this week. But, you know, I, I think you know, Melbourne are a classy outfit, but they've been a team under question over probably the last month or so. They've dropped a couple of games and had a couple of games as well, in particular the one against Gold Coast, where they probably didn't look like the team that we were expecting them to be this year. Um, I think the return of Lockie Hunter, you know, solidifies that wing, you know, spot for them, which is something that, you know, he's really added a lot of value to this week as well. And, you know, as you sort of mentioned, Dame Tarm, he's, you know, he's been that real tough nut player for Melbourne for a really long time now. And he can't find that spot in the team, which I think is quite unfortunate. But it also sort of shows the faith that, um, I guess Simon Goodwin's got in some of those young players, you know, that are falling for the midfield a little bit more, you know, your Trent Rivers and Kate Chandler's getting a bit of a run through there as well at the moment as well. So I think, you know, unfortunate for him, he's on the outer. But look, I don't know what you think, um, Yuri, but God, Carlton are in a bit of trouble at the moment. Oh, it's been a real pickle, hey, Nathan. And last week when you looked at the game, 59 inside 50s, but how many of those kicks they keep kicking down the throat of Nick Nick? So Nick Blakey, I was about to say Nick Blakey then based North Melbourne, Nick Blakey. He was just incredible. He was just dashing through the middle of the SCG. No Carlton player could lay a hand on him. And he was just so destructive with his run and when he gets that going. And that's exactly the way Sydney want to frame up. But with the Blues, the big question mark is how do they deliver the ball inside 50 to efficiency? And that is the thing, though. And the one aspect, I think for the last couple of weeks, surely they will have had to have a look at this during the week of training, is don't kick it to Jack Lever and Stephen May because that's exactly what Port Adelaide haven't done and that's exactly last week what the Dockers didn't do. And guess what? May and Lever have only taken combined 10 marks in the last two rounds. It says a lot. If you keep the ball away from them, don't bomb it up to a three-on-three and allow either May or Lever to roam and intercept you at least give yourselves a chance. And saw last year, right, Nathan, round 22, how Carlton was so gallant all the way through to, what, the final 15 seconds of the game and Cozzy Pickett broke their hearts with that snap. It's, again, if there's any inspiration for the Blues to take by tomorrow night, it has to be last year. That fueling motivator to be on the end of such a heartbreaking defeat has surely got to be enough to galvanise them. And Vossi again spoke about in his presser earlier today that, we feel like we're turning well. Again, actions speak louder than words. And again, you've got to start somewhere. And I thought last week was an opportunity lost in the way too. And I feel as though as well, some of the accountability of manning them in terms of manning the man on the mark too was lackadaisical at times too. And just be able to at least catch up on in terms of the run and flow of Sydney when they got the ball going was immensely difficult for them and I feel as though if Melbourne do that and of course they contested the ball such a strong aspect of the game and something they've absolutely prided, prided themselves on especially in that 2021 premiership 
it's going to, I feel like it'd just be a tad too much. If the Blues can't clean up that kicking efficiency, which has haunted them all season, just don't see them winning this. No, I totally agree. And I think you hit the nail on the head. The teams are starting to figure out the Melbourne defense that's actually can sort of, you know, try to spread out May and Lever and make them more accountable from a defensive perspective. Um, and then lower the eyes and be a little bit more you know, targeted in regards to how you enter the forward 50. It started with exposing because they are very much, you know, third man up, spoiling, you know, covering for each other sort of defensive players as well that roam around a lot. Um, and, and as you said, Port and, um, and Freeman over the last two weeks have exposed that. You know, so you, you hope that, you know, despite Carlton's lack of, you know, um, polish going inside 50, they've looked at that this week and sort of try to figure out ways of being able to sort of counteract the, the strong Melbourne defence. And I think probably the other thing talking about the Carlton forward line as well is, is earlier on in the season, you know, they found a very, very good balance where um, Colonel Mackay was sort of at one stage pushing up higher onto the half forward flank and even in the wing and they were delivering the ball to each other as well. One to pull a key defender outside the forward 50 but also two so they're not getting each other's way as well and it was quite effective there for a couple of weeks but for whatever reason that sort of got away from it as well. So from a personal perspective I'd love to see Carlton go back to that as well and especially Harry McCoy. Harry McCoy has a fantastic field kick you know for whatever reason, he can't at set shots at the moment, and that's fine. But utilise his field kick and get him kicking into Charlie because Charlie Kerner doesn't lose to any one-on-one just because of how big and strong he is um, and how smart he is with body positioning um, on, the defend- on the defender who's guarding him at the time as well. So, look, interesting, interesting matchup. Personally, I'm picking Melbourne. I don't think Carlton are going to win. Um, you know, they lose so much depth. They lose so much depth this week in injuries. Um, and I just don't see that the ins are going to make that big of an impact to be able to beat Melbourne. And I do think that Melbourne are going to respond as well. So what do you reckon, Yuri? What's your tip here? Same as well too, Nathan. Just the class around Melbourne's midfield. And if Carlton just keep following that same haunted ingredient of bombing the ball along without any fluency and structure, it's just going to play into main levers hands. And I just feel like that will be the downfall again if they can't get plan B up and running if plan A doesn't work. So I've got Melbourne for mine by four goals. Yep, no, totally agree. I reckon, um, yeah, Melbourne probably, I think, four or five goals as well, and especially if um, Carlton don't bring their kicking boots, which they've sort of not done in the last couple of weeks. It could be a long, it could be a long Friday evening at the MCG for them. We'll switch now our attention to the first game on Saturday between an absolutely thundering Port Adelaide have just been in absolute red-hot form. And against Hawthorne, who won their last couple, the Sun has shown signs of life under coach Sam Mitchell. This game, once again, being played at the Adelaide Oval. We'll go first to the team lineup, starting with the power. Todd Marshall's back f- from his concussion. Jackson Mead has been omitted. Likewise, Francis Evans. For Hawthorne, Jack Scrimshaw comes back into the team. Still found himself on the outer this season has the former first-round pick. James Sisley, of course, serving that suspension for that incident with Anthony Caminiti last Saturday against the Saints. And Cam McKenzie has been mentioned for, managed, I say, for the Hawks. What do you make of this too, Nathan? Because last year, Hawthorne absolutely blitzed apart Port Adelaide by 64 points. Yeah, a bit of a different Hawthorne team to uh, 2022, I think, and probably a very different Port Adelaide team to what we saw last year as well. Probably just from the top, some interesting selections or non-selections as well. So the decision 
Ken Hinckley's made to not bring Tom Jonas, the captain of the club, back in. So he's uh, opted to uh, put him to the SANFL. I actually don't mind this move. Um, you know, just because he's captain of the club doesn't necessarily mean that he gets his spot back automatically. And to be quite fair, he wasn't in the best form prior to his suspension. So I think it's a really good decision by Ken. And this is the sort of reason why he's a good coach is because he's got that relationship with his players to be able to have those hard conversations and say, do you know what, I'm setting a presence and I'm sending our captain back to the SNFL to earn his spot. And I love that from a coach. Um, and the second one that hasn't found his way back in the team yet is Chuck Dixon. Now, obviously, you know, a man mounted, you know, a ferocious player, quite scary even watching him on the TV at times as well. Hasn't found his way back into the squad and, um, you know, obviously not quite over his injury yet. But, again, that's another hole in that Port Adelaide forward line that's going to be, you know, plugged at some stage, which is a scary prospect for them as well. And probably the other question that I'll throw to you, you, um, Yuri, is this is now the second time in 12 rounds now that Cam McKenzie, an 18-year-old, has been managed. I don't know how I feel about that. You know, definitely back into the season, you know, managed minutes or, you know, VFL, but this is the second time now uh, he's lost his spot through being managed or omitted to sort of have time in the VFL. What do you think about that? Because I'm not a big fan. No, I find it a bit strange in a way too, Nathan. And But especially if you're a first-year play, you do tend to have to take a while to adjust to the to the rigours of the AFL system and the speed of the game's far quicker than what it is at TAC Cup level and trying to adjust to week in, week out and doing everything right. So I think that's a tricky one too. But I think Hawthorne are being cautious as well in a way that they don't want to overexert him. And that's the thing, I think, just taking away from why he's been managed this weekend. And I think it's not a bad thing in a way too because we've seen with what's happened at Essendon, right, with what now Nick Jones, sorry, with Nick Cockshaw, say Harrison Jones, those players hurting their back and whether it was a strenuous weight training program that they underwent, well, we'll find out sooner or later. So there's some things, I think, when you look at it that you want to be – measurable at the same time and not be over excessive about it. So I think what they've done this round, I think is fair enough for them too, Hawthorne. And there's still such a long way to go this season. And for just that step alone, I think that's all right in itself. Mm, yeah. And the long game, I think. And I, I understand that, and, you know, it's not a bad call. And I, I guess, you know, they probably view Cam McKenzie as a player know, of the future, you know, the next 10 or 15 years at the footy club. And I think probably the other big loss for Hawthorne this week has got to be their captain, you know. Uh, he he single-handedly, you know, dominated that game last week under the roof, you know, 40-plus touches, you know, in the low 20s for contested possessions, taking pretty much a field every single mark under the sun, um, you know. But unfortunately, one, you know, brain fart, because that's what it was, and he apologised straight away as well. Cost him a week, and I think, you know, you underestimate at times the influence a player like that has on such a young team. Um, and I think, you know, that will be ultimately what will be Hawthorne's undoing is not having that like spiritual follow me boy sort of a leader on the weekend. And uh, on the road as well, after a, a really stirring performance last week, you can very easily see them falling off the perch and, you know, folding against a really strong Port Adelaide team at home and potentially getting touched up as well. And I think, you know, to come to a prediction, I think Port Adelaide continues the winning streak. They've been fantastic. You know, obviously a bit of a, a rugged, dirtier battle last week against Richmond at the G. Didn't quite kick straight and, you know, 
Richmond had a lot of, you know, passion and ferocity and fight for obvious reasons in that game as well. But they stuck fat and they got the result. And, you know, that sort of shows a resolve that this team is sort of building in that confidence now that, you know, this isn't a fluke anymore. This isn't, you know, three or four weeks of good fortune. This is now two months of solid football and saying, no, 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 we are a legitimate contender. You have to take us seriously now. And, you know, as much as it pains me as a crosstown rival of my, my beloved Crows, you know, hats off to the, the job that Ken Hinckley is doing. And I actually think they do a job on Hawthorne. And I wouldn't be surprised if it, it gets quite nasty in the maybe eight to ten goal range, I reckon, we are hearing. I think it'll be less than ten goals. I think it'll be... Probably between six to seven, I think. For my, I don't think Hawthorne are going to lie down that easily. And again, what they've shown the last couple of weeks is they could have easily just been easily packed, packed up the bags and said, "Well, we're down by twenty points early in the final quarter. We'll just let it slide for a week." But absolutely no way. And I think that just shows the development growth within this young group that they're they've been building for the last couple of seasons, and it's going to hold them in good stead. But yeah, I've still got Port Adelaide winning this and what, make it nine wins in a row and they've just, yeah, been absolutely off the charts. We'll turn our attention now because we've got a few more games to get through too. We'll swing across now to Optus Stadium where Collingwood makes the trip out west and they have just been swooping apart opponents with ease at this stage, Collingwood, and they take on the West Coast Eagles. These two have had many close battles right over the last five years going back to that epic 2018 grand final the 2020 elimination final the 2019 was a home and away season here between the teams which Collingwood won by a point on that Friday night but this is a far different conclusion now between these two teams and we'll start first with the lineups for the Eagles Callum Jamison comes back into the side Luke Edwards suffered that knock last week he's out and Greg Clark has also been dropped from the team. As for the Magpies, Billy Frampton comes back into the side and as does Harrison. And the outs for Collingwood still side bottom injury his medial cruciate ligament in the first quarter in his 300th game and will miss up to six weeks. Jamie Elliott likewise is out for this match with his shoulder and Oleg Markov has been omitted for Collingwood. And also it's the debut as well for Harvey Harrison who, as we mentioned only a few seconds ago, comes into the place for the Magpies this weekend. I think we can all see this as a foregone conclusion, right, Nathan? Yeah, look, you know, I don't think we're going to get the classics that we've got over the last couple of years between these two teams, unfortunately. They're, they're on very different wavelengths right now. You know, West Coast is very much in that, you know, waiting for the number one draft pick and, and Collingwood are, you know, clear premiership favourites, I think. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm enjoying seeing Billy Frampton, the Swiss Army nice. Not, I guess, back in the team. You know, he won't be playing in the ruck now that Cameron and Cox are there, but, you know, he's become a key cog for them down back um, this year, I think, you know, after leaving the Crows, uh, going across to Collingwood. I think probably that one that sucks, in my opinion, a bit is Oleg Markov. Now, um, you know, obviously he's sort of, you know, reinvigorated his career um, after stints at the Gold Coast, I believe. And, um, you know, I, I love his run of uh, Richmond as well. I think, you know, I, I love his run of halfback, you know. He's that, like, fun, daring sort of player, almost like a little bit like a Nick Blakey, obviously not on the same level, but that one where he just gets the ball and takes the game on, I think, you know, whether they're looking for a little bit more control 
put in the back line because they've obviously got a couple of other players that like pushing off that half back line as well. And, you know, Jamie Elliott, you know, that's a loss for him. He's a good little small medium forward as well. But look, it's a foregone conclusion. You know, I don't think there's too much more to say about this. I, I do hope that West Coast put up a good fight, but I think a bit like my prediction for the Port Adelaide game as well, this could get a little bit out of hand is what I reckon. I think we saw last week with West Coast, they at least did show some resilience and at least actually came up for the fight against the Bombers. I think that's one thing that you can take away. And although being underclassed yet again was always going to be that foregone conclusion, they actually at least gritted their teeth and refused to lie down. And, okay, it was 50 points in the end. And both of us last week predicted that the Bombers would win between seven to eight goals, which was probably the right result anyway, considering the difference between the two sides. I just feel as though... Collingwood can blow away sides, and we saw that against the Giants in round nine, which they won to the tune of 12 goals. And he feels, though, again, I think that's probably going to be the margin for mine. It's going to be roughly between 10 to 12 goals. What do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, probably in the same region, it's going to be at least 10 goals. But you sort of mentioned how they did show some fight and some resolve, and I guess that's probably off the back of, you know, some returning senior players and, you know, we've been talking about this throughout the season that, you know, West Coast are just, you know, struggling mostly because a lot of their senior players are injured. You've got, I believe, Tom Barras was back. Um, you know, Elliot Yo was back in the middle. Dom Sheets now healthy again as well. So, you know, you sort of sprinkle those senior players across each of the, uh, each of the lines and it's not going to change the result, but it's going to change what the output does look like. And there's a lot more leadership, a lot more control at times. Um, and, you know, they were competitive for longer stretches of the game, which we haven't seen out of West Coast for pretty much the whole season. So, look, you know, Colling will get the job done. But, you know, I do expect to sort of see some more promise and some more progression from West Coast as well. We'll turn our attention now to the two Saturday night games. And we'll start first with the Western Bulldogs, who on the end of a losing result last Saturday night up north in Darwin to the Gold Coast Suns, losing by seven points and Geelong. Well, they've been hitting the skids as of late, right? They've lost their last three. They sit five and six. This is uncharted territory for the Cats. And the last time they missed our finals was all the way back in 2015 when they lost to Collingwood in that final round. I'm pretty sure at the time they got blitzed in the opening term, which ended any hopes of them continuing to play September finals football that year. The outs, the lineups first for the Western Bulldogs in terms of ins and outs. Adam Trelaw comes back from the hamstring injury. Lockie O'Neill's been omitted, as has Mitch Hannon. For Geelong, Gary Rowan comes back into the team. Asava Ratigalia did his hamstring last week. It looked pretty innocuous in a way too. It didn't seem too much to it. And Brandon Parford has been omitted. Just can't seem to solidify his spot in the team. And, of course, Geelong still missing Patrick Dangerfield, their skipper, and Cam Guthrie. And Sam Menangola is still on the sideline. So... What do we make of this too, Nathan? Because saw last year, Geelong, I think they got out to was that seven-goal lead early on. The Bulldogs came barking back, and there was that instant three-quarter time between Bailey Smith and Zach Tui, where Bailey Smith caught those couple of matches for head-butting Tui. It's two teams on completely opposite ledges at this stage. Yeah, I think there's no love love lost between these two, that's for sure. And, you know, it, it's crazy to think that, you know, a blockbuster like this and you know, Bulldogs go in favour and with a better record. I don't think many people would have thought of that at the start of the season. And I, I think for the Bulldogs, Adam Trelaw back into that new sort of massive, you know, 
Fontanelli and Torre and even Jack McRae back in the midfield now, they're putting in a massive body of work. But, you know, I think last week we sort of saw them exposed a little bit and outclassed and, you know, sort of outrun a little bit by the younger midfield from Gold Coast, specifically Mel Anderson and that Rao. So I think having um, having Delor back in there to sort of help, um, you know, carry the load is definitely going to, you know, be a positive for the Bulldogs. And I think looking then at DeLong, um, they can't take a trick. They're probably a little bit like West Coast where they're just being ravaged by injury but are still sort of relevant and remaining competitive within the season. But probably the big one is Radigalea. You know, we've sort of seen that Tom Stewart, as great of a player as he is, hasn't sort of been able to play that roaming, you know, halfback role that he's so – intercepting role that he's so known for because of how how large on that been down back this year. And I think losing Radigalea is a negative for DeLong in many reasons, but specifically because Tom Stewart can't play that roaming all-Australian role that he does. And he's now having to be accountable for a key forward. And especially you look at the Bulldogs' forward line with, you know, Aaron North, and Jamara Eugle Hagen and then, you know, Cody waiting on the ground and Rory Lobb as well. They, they, they um, you know, display a lot of threats up forward. And, you know, straight off the bat, you think, geez, is the long forward uh, defence line rather, you know, even going to be able to stand up to that? And then you look at the midfield battle and you've got Bonton Kelly who's on track for a Brownlow potential this year as well. And, you know, the long so light on and having to play, um, some of the kids or some of the younger players in there as well. It's going to be a really interesting matchup. But, you know, the Bulldogs love playing at Marvel. I'm not sure what it is under the roof. I'm not sure if you've been there, Yuri, but they love playing under the roof. Yeah, it's been like that for a long time, actually, Nathan, with the Western Bulldogs and having such great success at Docklands. And even under Rod Neade, there was probably a period there from about, what, 2007 to 2010 where every single time they played at Docklands, they will kick over 100 points. It was evident. It was just a game style that they had under Rocket with the likes of Ryan Griffin dashing through the wing. And there's so many outstanding plays we could probably go on through, but we can't. But this it's the smaller dimensions, I think, and also the quickness that the Bulldogs do have. I think that just tailors perfectly to their strengths too. The other one I think as well for Geelong, they need Jeremy Cameron firing after was an outstanding opening nine rounds. He kicked 33 goals. He's only been held to three goals in the last three matches. Sam DeConan came came back last week too and was wearing, was that protective mask and he's going to have such a major responsibility down back now with that three-pronged toll attack of the Western Bulldogs. And the other one to mention too is Arthur Jones as well, part of their pack of smalls too. He's shown so potential so many glimpses and there was that period there in the final term against Carlton where he kicked that brilliant snap from the right-hand pocket to put the Bulldogs back in front in that contest. So I think for mine too, Nathan, I've got the Bulldogs winning this by about, I'd say roughly three goals is my estimation. What about you? Yeah, look, it's going to be interesting. Two teams looking to bounce back after, you know, losses or a loss last week for the Bulldogs. And I think the Bulldogs will win as well. It's going to be a hot contest, I reckon. But ultimately, I think with the Bulldogs going to be too strong under the roof. They've proven that, you know, for many, many years. I reckon a couple of goals in it, but I reckon the Doggies get the job done. Should be a close one day to the Bulldogs and Cats. We'll switch our attention now up north. Once again, the Suns playing up and down for a second consecutive week against the Adelaide Crows. You could almost put pen to paper and say this is the match around. I don't know whether that is an understatement or not because the Crows have been excellent, especially at home at the Adelaide Oval. And Gold Coast, at least for the last few weeks, have turned around their season. No changes for the Suns, but Mac Andrews out for a second time this season due to a club-imposed suspension. For the Crows, Mitch Hinge comes back. 
Likewise, there's Brody Smith. He was a late out last week for the Crows. Josh Worrell has been omitted, as has Ned McHenry and Patrick Parnell, you think most likely will be the sub. The Suns showed so much resolve when the Bulldogs got out to that early four-goal lead in the first quarter. And yet again, so many of their young star players that really held them held the mould down with Matt Rowe. He was outstanding. We'll probably talk more about him very shortly. And Bailey Humphrey, too, is just going from strength to strength each game of each week. What do we make of this? Because I think this is going to be extremely close. And I think we've seen probably from about 2019 onwards, Nathan, that the Suns and Crows have had their fair share of close encounters. Yeah, they have. And probably starting from the Gold Coast perspective, you know, last week they were unreal. They really were. They resolve and fight and, you know, continuing to dig deep, I guess, in that game against the Bulldogs when, you know, at times they had no momentum and they sort of swung it back in their direction. It was really exciting to see. And, you know, a few weeks ago when when their captain or co-captain, Tuke Miller, went down with his knee injury, you go, oh, geez, well, you know, there goes Gold Coast season. But, you know, the youth are now coming through and it's what's exciting about the Gold Coast Suns at the moment. Like Matt Rao, you know, he showed from game one, you know, his potential, and I think now he's got continuity in his body and he's got his confidence back and he's eating grass and whatever else. And, you know, he's now starting to, you know, he's, he's starting to show that he is an elite midfielder. He tackles like an absolute machine. He's getting so many clearances now as well. And then his running mate, you know, Anderson, you know, he's had a couple of lighter leaks, you know, over the past two or three rounds, but he again had showed promise as well. And, you, you know, you've got the big body of Jared Witts in the middle as well, knocking the ball down to him as well. And then you mentioned ba- um, um, uh, Bailey Humphreys as well, you know, top 10 draft last year, got nominated for the Rising Star a few weeks ago as well. And he's sort of showing as well that, you know, he's got, you know, elite midfield sort of written all over him as well with the potential to go forward and kick goals. So, you know, they adjust the world of the conditions as well. And, you know, someone like a Dak coach as he's bobbing up every now and then and kicking bags of goals as well. So you don't know what you're going to get out of him, but... You know, he's been playing well. And then for my Crows, you know, I was really, really interested to sort of see how he went selection-wise this week. You know, as you said, Bruce Smith laid out last week and Mitch Hinge was out with the concussion protocols and the best 22 players. And they were going to come back in. And, you know, Worrell, who I thought was fantastic in his first game of AFL for the season, unlucky to get dropped. Um, and then Ned McHenry, you know, same as well. He's like a little energized bunny live wire out there as well. I probably predict him to be the sub for us this week. He comes on and brings a lot of energy. But I think, you know, as you sort of mentioned, you know, we've, we've been dominant at home and, you know, the Adelaide Oval is a bit of a fortress for us um, so far this year. But I think if the Crows want to be taken seriously and want to be a finals team and Onwards from there, they have to win games on the road. And these are the sorts of games that if you want to play a finals, you cannot drop. Um, I'm not I'm not putting a fork in the road and saying this is a must-win, but it's very, very important for the team going forward, you know, leading into their bite to get this win. And, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what you think, but it's an important game. Oh, extremely important, Nathan, too. And the dewy conditions are going to play a big factor. And I think we saw last Saturday... Several of the Bulldogs players were wearing those wrist, those wristbands too, down on just to at least combat the dew and the sweat from slipping down into their palms and making it harder for them to grip the ball. So, other thing will be interesting to see what the Crows do with that in the lead up to the game as well. Whether several of their players opt for that same strategy too. I think the other one as well. Just some of the matchups before we head on to the next game too. And I was just looking through it this afternoon. What do the Suns do with? Isaac Rankine, first game against his old club, and of course with Josh Rochelle. I was thinking to myself, do they put 
either a Ben Long or do I put Darcy McPherson on him? I'd like to hear your thoughts about Nathan because I think that's the most intriguing. Mm, no, it is. And I think probably the reason why they're such a head-scratching sort of um, you know, duo for clubs at the moment is purely because of their flexibility um, within games to be small forwards but then roll up and play in the midfield as well. Um, you know, and, and looking looking at the list, you know, like someone like a guy Ferrar as well, like is that someone that could potentially try and run with one of them? Um, I, I think probably the biggest thing is, is that whoever is marking them in inside 50 contests needs to be on them like, like glue, you know. They need to be close because the second they lose contact to them, we saw what happened last week. It results in a goal. Um, so from a specific matchup, look, I, I don't know who goes to them. But I think it needs to be someone versatile enough to be able to realise, you know, they have to play in the midfield as well because that will happen during the game. Um, and the Suns as a team need to be aware of that and adjust accordingly. So now that is all said and done now, Nathan, who have you got winning this game? Because it is hard to pick. Look, I'm backing in um, the Crows. I am. Um, look, you know, historically I would say, no, we're going to lose this one because that's part and parcel with where the club has been at for the last couple of years. But, you know, they've got that spark and they've got the confidence about themselves. And I think across the board we're sort of showing you know, the versatility that other teams don't have. And I think the biggest thing is adapting to the conditions. So I think if we can do that, I, I do believe that the Crows will get the job done. It'll be close. I'd probably say no, no more than two to three goals, but I, I'm picking the Crows this one. Yeah, I've got the same as well too, Nathan. I've got Adelaide winning this by about two to three goals as well. Just can't see this game being anything but close, especially the way the Suns have been playing as of late. We'll turn our attention now to the two games on the Sunday. We'll start first with GWS against Richmond, and we'll start with the ins first because there are no outs for the Giants. Harry Himmelberg comes back into the team. So does Matthew Flint and Harry Rouston for the Tigers. Also, no outs for them. Thompson Dow comes into the team, as does Noah Cumberland, and Sam Banks a new debutante comes into the side. So, again, the Giants had a stirring win last Saturday, the Twilight game against the Cats, Nathan. The three wins in a row at Cadinia Park. No one has been able to achieve that in goodness how knows how long because that was an absolutely fantastic win in Toby Green's 200th. Richmond first game under interim coach Andrew McCorter after Damian Hardwick announced his departure after 14 seasons at Punt Road. Lost to Port Adelaide by 10 points. Yeah, it's going to be one of those games, I think, where the Giants have at least shown so much promise, and I don't think many expected it to be at least their win-loss record standout at this point under coach Adam Kingsley. They've implemented almost very reminiscent of that orange tsunami, which got them into a grand final in 2019 and almost a grand final in 2016. Yeah, look, I think Adam Kingsley is slowly figuring out or finding out how frustrating being an AFL coach can be, you know. that They they have shown so much promise, you know, through the first 11 rounds of the season. And, you know, they've dropped a couple of games that where they were probably in and shouldn't have, you know, as recent round 10 game against St Kilda. Um, I'm sure there's probably another hand that we can pick out that they've dropped where they probably should have won. And then they can end up getting in park and win and that's injury. But no one does that and no one wins three games in a row down there against Geelong. But, you know, I, I, I will hand heart say that is the Toby Green factor. 
you know, Toby Green came out and, you know, single-handed took over that game in the first half, and then they sort of just continued to hold on their arms reach for the continuation of the game. Um, and in the 200, that's what he's about. The game, though, a little bit different, and I'm sort of going to put two like little fun headlines out there, I guess, and I'm interested to get your take on it. Number one is the Tim Taranto return, revenge game, whatever you want to call it. He obviously didn't leave in bad blood, you know, like, you know, NBA players do sometimes when they return to their former team. But, you know, returning back to the uh, GWS guys for the first time, and I'm expecting him to get some treatment, understandably, but I can see him having a really, really big game. He's been fantastic football, and none so more evident than the game he put together last Sunday against Port Adelaide. But the second one now, with Damien Hardwick not being the coach of Richmond anymore, the dusty rumours have been swirling and, you know, there was a move him up to GWS or up to Sydney along like a quite a while ago. Is is Dusty playing against his next team? Well, I don't see Dusty going anywhere on that half on that behalf, Nathan. The other one too, Tim Taranto, you don't expect a charade of booze, not at all. He gave so much to the Giants and he's already giving so much to Richmond already. And I still find it a bit fathomable in the way that he's copying as much criticism as he's had for his production because he's arguably been one of Richmond's best players this season. It makes no sense at all. Where where can you almost legitimately criticise his game? He's impacting his scoreboard. He's impacting around the contest. I don't see any faults in the way through what has been, well, for Richmond in terms of in the lead-up to the season, top four aspirations if you want to make it in the way or fifth or sixth place finish. They're probably not going to finish there this season, but he's the one that can hold his head up high through what has been, yeah, it's been a tricky season for Richmond. Everyone understands that. But I think when you look into the contest as well and what we you know can really look forward to as well, Nathan, I think he's going to have a major impact too. The Giants midfielders have been slowly returning back to the best. I think we saw last season too, Stephen Cornelio, he had those couple of injury-ravaged seasons, uh, very hard 2020 campaign, 2021, which ended pretty badly. I think it was against Geelong, that semi-final, Nathan. He only had, I think it was about 13 or 14 touches and just didn't cover the ground. It was unlike Cornelio because his impact, his meters gain once he does get the ball in open space. He can be so damaging, especially to in his contested work, which provides so much of a nucleus for the Giants in the midfield, which he's been doing since he was drafted back in 2011. He's been back to his best form and I just feel in the way too, he's got to have another big game and Again, I think this is going to be close. I just can't see too much separation between the teams. Yeah, I think probably first of all, just to cover off on you, Tim Taranto. I agree. I think you know he probably he has been their best player, um, and, and the outside criticism has been pretty harsh for a for a player that is clearly the best player on a team that is struggling. Without him, it probably would be even more you know pain for Richmond and. The biggest knock against him is disposal efficiency, but you know I guess if he's not winning the ball, then who else is? You know, um, and then from a from a, goal, from a DWS perspective, rather you're right, Cornelio being back in form and running on top of the ground like he is in that midfield has been a big reason why DWS have remained relevant and in a lot of games this year. And his form drop was correlating with poor performances at the back end of last year as well. And I think the emergence of two players in particular as well, Finn Callahan out in the wing, he sort of made that wing spot his own um, and he's playing really, really good football out there. But also Tom Green. You know, Tom Green has just become an absolute machine for our eyes. 
um, his ability to win the contest, um, you know, and then, then also, as we've sort of seen in this early part of the season, having an impact on the scoreboard as well, I think, you know, the value of a midfielder that can amass 30 touches a game, we also have a scoreboard impact load is massive. It's absolutely massive. That's what the elite midfielders are doing, and he's slowly sort of putting himself in that category. With that all being said, though, I'm actually probably going to pick Ogno, so not probably. I will be picking Richmond in this game. Look, look, you're right. It's a hard one to split, and I don't know why I'm picking Richmond, but I just feel like this is the sort of game where Richmond just bob up and win. There's no real home ground advantage for GWS. There's not many fans out there. There's not much of a vibe. Um, you know, GWS are doing a bit of a celebration as such for Toby Green's 200th, even though it was last week, a bit of a recognition at home as well. But, you know, someone like a Dustin Martin or a Shay Bolton will probably bob up in this game and kick a few goals and the difference, I think. It's going to be a narrow margin, but I think, yeah, a Dusty or a Bolton will be the difference in this game and Rick will win. I probably thought about this for a couple of minutes this morning, Nathan, putting my tips in. I thought long and hard, looked through the lineups, looked at some of the matchups, looked at where both teams had been falling down a bit at various times and what what had they been doing very well. And sort of came to a conclusion for mine that I've got the Giants winning this, but it's going to be narrow again. Just see roughly between two to three goals likewise too and just – it's going to be hard and rugged and what the conditions present in Sydney, who knows? Could be raining, could be sunny, could be cloudy. We don't know exactly what we're going to get come Sunday. So it should be an absolute belt. We've got one more game to preview for round 12, the final game between Essendon and North Melbourne under the roof at Docklands. Start first with the lineups for the Bombers. Dylan Shield comes back. He was a laid out again last week. Alwyn Davey Jr. has shown very good signs in his first season at Bomberland. Andrew Phillips. And also, Rhett Montgomery could be a potential debut for him. Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody has been omitted. As for the Kangaroos, who showed love gallant fight last week against Collingwood, Darcy Tucker is into the side. Three-time, four-time Premiership player, th- should I say, three-time Premiership player, Liam Shields is into the team. Curtis Taylor, Aiden Kaur, and Taron Thomas could well play his first game of the season. Paul Curtis has been omitted, and as has Charlie Lazaro. The Bombers have been finding their form as of late. We spoke last week, Nathan, after what was a month there where they were close, but not close enough. North Melbourne have at least, well, showed some ticker last Sunday against Collingwood, and we saw last year that the Bombers just completely overran North Melbourne. What do we make of this contest too? Because I think we know that the Bombers love to play that chip short mark game and then open the ground up where there's space and the Kangaroos, well, they just live on vigour when the momentum goes their way. Yeah, look, I think you're right. Like, you know, Essendon have definitely found some form over the last month, not always correlating in victories, um, but they have found some form. You know, you go as far back as Anzac Day, a game that were, they were in full control in and then sort of succumbed to the fourth quarter magpies, which a lot of teams have as well. You know, even, you know, a few weeks ago at the Gabba, they were in that game for long stretches and then Brisbane blew them out late. And then obviously, you know, big wins at dream time. And then last week as well, they got got done here in Perth against West Coast as well. I, I think, you know, this is a sort of game where um, it's probably a danger game in my eyes. North Melbourne have been that sort of plucky team, especially over the last couple of weeks. Should have beaten Sydney and then had a really strong, well, put forward a really strong showing rather against uh, Collingwood last week as well. 
Both teams play Marvel very, very well as well. Um, and in particular, North Melbourne, you look at some of the senior players they're now getting into their squad. You mentioned Aiden Core, you'd expect him to slot back into that back line. Um, Darcy Tucker, you know, provides some experience there as well. And then Liam Chill, you know, he's you know, the ultimate professional sort of a player and adds value wherever he is as well. And then the potential wildcard of, you know, um, Taron Thomas playing as well. Look, you know, it's an interesting one. It's probably, again, not too many people are going to be interested in as well. This is one I, I will be keeping an eye on because I'm not saying it's going to happen, but this is a sort of game that gives me vibes where, you know, a sneaky little upset could definitely occur. You know, Essen are vulnerable at times um, and are still definitely that team that are developing and developing their style and strategy and structure under their new coach, um, Brad Scott, as well. So, and Brett Ratton's found something. I'm not sure what it is or whether it's just a team playing for Alistair Clarkson and what he's unfortunately going through at the moment. But, you know, Yuri, what, what are your thoughts? Because I could potentially see an upset brewing on the cards here. I see it in a way where if North Melbourne can play that daring right at tempo footy, which Essendon love to play when they get the ball on their terms. Nathan and spoke about the short chip marking before opening the ground up and trying to find holes through the centre corridor and using that to their advantage and saw that basically in the final term when West Coast started a tyre. North Melbourne showed that, at least in spades, after probably, what, the last quarter, even though the game was over, they at least showed that they actually can display the flair that the likes of Collingwood, the likes of Port Adelaide can display Brisbane week in, week out. And it's a real optimism sign for the Kangaroos going forward because, again, we spoke last week, it is going to take time. There are going to be growing pains. But if you can take apart quarters in terms of wins, like they had in the final turn against Collingwood, and carry that on to the next game – and there's always something in footy where if you perform well in the final quarter, yes, although the game is lost, normally that does stem onto next week. And it normally does translate in the team, as in North Melbourne's case, we'll see what happens come Sunday, that they bound out the gates on Sunday. And I can't see why they cannot. It's just something about probably at least the last couple of weeks and been on whilst well, it that crushing loss to Sydney too, which they should have won that game. No make no make no bones about it. But they've got they're showing that real enthusiasm that's gonna hold them and hold them well, I think, come the bombers clash on Sunday for mine. Yeah, agreed. And I think the biggest thing with North Melbourne now is I hope that they find that balance between continuing to play the kids your Sheezles and, you know, Wardlaws and, um, you know, those likes, but continuing to play the senior players as well because I think that's the best form of development is playing the young kids and getting the games into them, but having those senior players out there with them, guiding and coaching on the field as well. And probably just one more thing to get to as well with North Melbourne is the form of Nick Larkey. It's been interesting. I think is probably the best way to put it. You know, he started, you know, like bullet out of a gate, you know, at the start of the season, kicking goals and not missing either. And then he went missing a little bit and he bobbed up last week and kicked five. And I think, you know, if North Melbourne can continue to unlock what he's got, especially with, you know, someone like a Zerhar or Jaden Stevenson and even Callum Coleman Jones up forward as well, I think they've got a bit of a nucleus there to work with. So, look, 
am going to back in Essendon. My pick will be Essendon. I think they'll probably win by a couple of goals. But, and I'm putting a big but in there, do not be surprised if North Melbourne win this game. There's not going to be many opportunities for North to win a game this year, which is unfortunate to say. But I think, you know, weirdly, this might be one of those asterisks on the calendar as one that they could give a real nugget and a red-hot crack. But Essendon is my tip. Yeah, Nick Larky's had an excellent season, Nathan. He's kicked 30 goals from 11 games, as you mentioned, kicked those five goals last week against the Magpies. I do have the Bombers winning this, and I will be tuning into the game. I do see being close yet again, cliche on cliche, but I think North Melbourne will stretch them all the way through to probably, I know, probably midway through the final quarter is my guess, but I just see the Bombers just having enough class and poise to keep themselves entrenched in the top eight. So that's all our round 12 matches, seven matches in total to preview. It should be an absolutely another cork around the footy yet again. A big thank you to Nathan Jennings for hopping on the show once again. Nathan, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Yuri. It's always a pleasure. And we'll see you next week as well. I'm Yuri Bilsic, and we'll chat next Thursday right here on the Mojo Sports Network. 